This week on Dig Me Out. In the morning I will approach, though the sunlight is dim, and wonder what menace could complete such a crime. But in the With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Last week, the boss yelled at me because I put the in front of those, and uh, he did not oh care for gosh. that. I almost, got together, de- I almost got a demerit. Uh, also, I don't, I, We don't own that one. I, well, we should. I also am probably owed a demerit because I did not put up a poll for this episode. Uh, it just, this is how my brain works. I go in, I, I go in these like, uh, ADHD kind of, uh, spasms where I, I will put up like, I'll, sh- I'll schedule like 10 episodes uh, up, uh, up in the, uh, in the Patreon. And then yep. something will happen outside of, of scheduling those. And I will completely forget. So now in the past, Eric has sprung some surprises on the Patreon community, so maybe it's okay. Welcome back, Eric Peterson. Please forgive me for not putting up a poll on this one. I forgot. I pro- apologize. I That's okay. Not- I, try, I try to tease it every other one. So um, it, it's fine that there wasn't a poll. I, I kind of wanted some of these to be a surprise. Um, You're including this next one. year. I've already teased next year on Facebook. But uh, yeah. Oh, you want to see next year's? This this is the leading candidate for next year, right here. I it's a sideways. I can't quite... exactly. <laughs> here, I'll tell I'll tell you what. Wait a minute! It came out on CD. The next year's. This is next year's. This, well, there's. You're... So this is this year's. Oh wow! It's it's, it's completely gone. <laughs> see when you when you use the backdrop thing on on yeah. Zoom, it completely erases anything you're trying to uh, show. Usually that's you okay. lose an arm or a leg somewhere in there too, or maybe an ear, part of your headphones. So anybody that's watching this, <laughs> right? I got my gestures wrong, right? There we go. Over anyway, this is it. This is this year's. Right. And um, my backdrop, I will, will explain it as we get into this episode, but it does not in any way to most people make sense why I would have this backdrop because usually I put the album cover and I even confused uh, Jay, uh, as did Eric when we started this. So this, I, I was looking it up. I mean, let's see, 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, 18, 19. This is your 20th appearance, Eric. Wow. 20 episodes. Nice work. That's a well, lot. You know, there have been a lot of ups and downs. I always reflect on the fact that... Uh, some albums you guys really hated and some albums you really loved. So, well, the ones that you picked, we had last year, uh, Four Non Blondes, the year before that, Phantom Blue, mm-hmm. before that, Southern Culture on the Skids. 2019 was Animal Bag. Um, there were actually two in 2019. I think one was left over from the previous year. Yeah, uh, probably. Galactic Cowboys, Turbo Negro, and Mother Love Bone, and then a whole bunch of roundtables. Mm hmm in there as well and our 500th episode on nirvana just a lot of stuff happening uh over the years so why don't you share with everybody the album that you picked for this year the uh, self-titled record from course of empire from originally issued in 1990 however the copy i have was a reissue from 1992 now jay uh had you ever heard of course of empire well, yeah, from the um, polls a couple months ago, but it was another album. I think it was an album from later in the decade. Um, it was their second album, and I was secretly hoping that it was going to win so that we would have both of their albums covered. They had three albums. The third one is more of a hodgepodge collection of tunes, including a re-recording of a uh, track off of this record. But I kind of was hoping that that one would have edged out because it was in the lead for a while. And then it would have been like two Course of Empire albums for the year. Nice. Yeah, that was the first I'd ever heard of them. So you heard the name, but you didn't check them out? Yep. Same. I've heard the name before, but I had not checked out the band. 
Uh, you're not from the Dallas area, Eric. No. So how did you discover this band? Uh, their second album actually had a video, which you can check out on YouTube, which is gloriously 90s in its computer animation that showed up in either uh, Headbangers Ball or 120 Minutes when I was in college. And something about it made me want to go out and buy the record. And from there, I guess I saw this this record, the the first album at one of our local record stores and picked it up. Okay. So a little bit of history on the band. As I mentioned, they're from Dallas, Texas. Um, they, uh, two uh, gentlemen, Mike Graff, who's the guitarist and drummer, Anthony Headley, uh, both went to SMU in the 80s and they were writing music for film projects and decided to turn it into a band. That's when they brought in Vaughn Stevenson in 88, uh, who had moved from Texas, moved to Texas from North Carolina and bassist Paul Semrad, they called themselves Course of Empire, which, as you both know, is based on a series of paintings from the 1830s by Thomas Cole. Yeah, I know no you're idea. both well aware of the Course of Empire series of paintings. So it's a band of art students. Yeah, basically these were these were these were art artistic students. You know, they were making mu ambient music for films. They were yep. into art, uh, and so they form a band, and um, they were in. You know, they mentioned early being influenced by like Ministry and Killing Joke, KMFDM, post punk stuff, industrial, and they played their first show in '88. A year later, they're witnessing a performance by a group called the Kodo Drummers, which um, was a professional taiko drumming troupe based out of Japan. And um, the drummer, Anthony Headley, said, we should, we should do two drummers. Like, that would be really unique. So they brought in Chad Lavelle as their second drummer. And so that's how they, they had already kind of established themselves in the area, but then they, you know, kind of kicked it up at, at that point. So they go to record their first record. And... Um, Chad Lovell actually took a slight hiatus from the brand. I guess this is in like 89, 90. And a, a, a young drummer named Dave Abruzies came in and recorded with them. Uh, he's only on the song God's Jig. But if you're wondering now, uh, or if you're if you figured it out, that's why I have Pearl Jam's 10 uh, as the background to my um, Zoom picture because there's our pearl gem connection that's not he didn't play on that album though yeah well close enough <laughs> he didn't you need the next one he played on the next album oh that's right it's cruising on the first one yep come on tim but he was but cruising was out of the band by the time they were touring for that record yeah right? He, he right well yeah i think he, he did uh, like the first video maybe but then after that dave apercisi was in everything yeah, think, through the next record i i think that uh he was a studio drummer that you know jumped out pretty quickly is my understanding got Reason it that is so november 1990 this record comes out the self-titled course of empire it's released on carpe diem records but it gets a re-release uh the following august of 91 on zoo entertainment now zoo entertainment you know, I had like Matthew Sweet and uh, who else was on that? Tool was on there in the beginning. Replicants. Um, Killing Joke for a while. Hoodoo Gurus. Great White. Dog Star. The uh, Keanu Reeves band. So they had, they had a number of, of uh, albums released on that label. Um, and, uh, they continued, you know, touring and all that kind of stuff, uh, go and to make their second record and zoo, I think at this point is starting to have some issues with money. Is it on the second record that that happens or the third record? I think it's the second record where they go to another label. Um, well, initiation comes out on, it does come out on zoo, but I believe like they put it out and then. Um, 
So the third one's on TVT, which yes. kind of makes sense when you when you hear the band, especially what they were doing on uh, Initiation, which is definitely more, and we'll get into it, which is definitely more industrial than this record. So the interesting thing about their second record, which we're not talking about, but it has three hidden tracks, but in different parts of the CD. So there's a hidden track in the pre-gap before you have, I guess you have to rewind as soon as you put the CD in and then you get the hidden track before the CD starts. And then you get a hidden track at 20, track 23. Um, but there's only 10 tracks on the record. So you have to like skip ahead from <laughs> to there. And then um, there's a hidden track uh in the feedback of a song called the gate which can only be heard if the stereo track was played over a mono music system that's mm. pretty hardcore like i've heard of hidden tracks i've never heard of like you have to play it on a specific system in order to get it <laughs> i hope they had a, a financial tie-in with that system so they could sell it at the shows and be like the only way you're going to hear the song is if you buy this uh system which we get a yeah. cut that's what the song is that it is um is it on this record no it's yeah. on the next record okay this one doesn't have any hidden stuff it's all there it's the next record so your, your smartphone has a has a mono setting and the accessibility setting so if you really want to hear you can go oh, in your settings and set it to mono and see if you can decipher what the what's going on there. So uh, by the time that they put out the second record, um, I believe Anthony Headley had left and Michael Jerome had taken over for drums and or Kyle Thomas had and then Kyle Thomas was replaced by Michael Jerome. Um, so they you know, did the stuff, the touring and whatnot. So they're making their third record, um, which was mastered by Bob Ludwig, master, uh, remastered by Howie Weinberg. They were going to be, you know, this was going to be a big deal. They got a song on the Dark City soundtrack. I don't remember if people remember that movie, but I actually, that's a really good movie from the 90s. Um, they, end, they ended up touring with Rob Halford's industrial rock project two spelled number two w o mm -hmm. uh until that got canceled like they they did like two weeks and then the tour got canceled it was supposed to go much longer so then they went and opened for sisters of mercy um and because of the fact that zoo had basically collapsed and then tvt had come in and salvaged the record but it had been like three years uh, they just got frustrated with the, the the big tour being canceled that they were supposed to be like, you know, was supposed to help break them. And then the label issues, and they just decided to call it quits at that point. And they played their final show in July of 1998. Uh, they put out some compilations like demos and stuff like that. And then one of the members of the band, uh, Lovell, he had a medical issue he had a fall in 2019 and he had traumatic brain injury. So they ended up um, putting out some stuff to support him financially. Uh, then they did a benefit concert in Fort Worth and, um, or no, uh, the toadies actually were the one who put on the benefit concert. So I must, they must've been friends with the toadies at some point. Uh, so that's the, uh, that's the history. I don't know of, I, did you follow any like side projects or bands after this or anything like that from these guys? Uh, no, no, not really. Okay. So yeah, that's about uh, all I was able to dig up. I mean, um, Michael Jerome, who took over, he ended up playing with better than Ezra and has been a drummer for a number of other bands and artists um, a lot of like blues and stuff. He's played with Richard Thompson for like 20 years. He played on um, records by Taj Mahal and Shelby Lynn and Katie Lang and Steve Forbert, John Cale, the Blind Boys of Alabama. So he's got a 
that guy's a drummer. Like that's a that there's a nice studio touring drummer uh, gig that he's got. So there there was that documentary that I think came out in the last year about alternative rock in the '90s, whose title is totally escaping me. And Course of Empire were featured in that. Uh, the Underground uh, Inc. Yes, I believe that's which one it was, and uh, that was kind of interesting to see the because as I recall in the actual documentary there was footage from the time when their second album came out when other bands were talking about hearing the album and not understanding why it wasn't huge interesting i did notice the um, font on the cover of the record i think is very similar to the font of the critters buggin album if either of you have heard the critters buggin album <laughs> which was uh uh okay loose groove right that was on loose, loose groove. Groove. It, was, it was a loose groove release you know stone gossard's yeah, um, label yeah, yeah. So, and it came out, came out like in the early mid 90s so i picked it up because i was like oh it's loose groove it's brad it's you know it's shane it's a, a yeah the first brad album i think came out on that and there was some other stuff i was like mm-hmm. and it is not what you would expect isn't it like a weird funk album something it's, or other? it's like funk world music it's like yeah. I don't, there's not even really singing on it. It's a lot of like just percussion and jams and it's weird. I was my, my 20 year old brain was not ready for that record. I might revisit it at some point and maybe I would appreciate the influences on it, but I don't think I understood what was going on at the time. It was just too much. So uh, let's get into this record, Jay. We've talked about course of empire. Let's talk about their debut album. Tell me something you liked about the 1990 debut record by course of empire. This is full of surprises. Um, a lot of a lot of left turns, a lot of right turns. Uh, you don't know where this record is going from one song to the next. So it's a pretty fun ride. It's really not only diverse, it, it's it's very rich too. Like sonically, there's a lot of layers. There's also a lot of effects. Um, you know, it's kind of heavy with atmosphere. Uh, in a way, which I which I think again is a good thing. I mean, you're jumping genres here. From you hear some, you know, straight up industrial. You hear like '80s alternative. I heard like um, some Simple Minds in there. Uh, a song like Peace Child. last track there's prog elements there's all kinds of shades of hard rock and metal there's even some like movie soundtrack kind of vibes to some of this with some of the atmospherics and uh some of the instrumental sections um it's really dynamic i think the drums are a critical part of the record uh they're diverse but they're also you know, pretty integral to every song or nearly every song from the opening track is it Pita? Uh, it has these rumbling toms. It just gives it this big epic feel. Uh, then you get kind of more of a nineties alternative bit of a gallop in God's jig, which, you know, is a shift, but also really well done. And, um, kind of gives that song this kind of heavy rhythm to it. Uh, then there's Thrust, which has this big, it's just a drum riff. Uh, I think there's probably two drummers on there. It's multi-track drums, just this layered pounding beat that reminded me a little bit of Faith No More um, in some ways. 
but like just straight up drum riff, like something as soon as you hear it, you remember it, you know, you recall it on the record. There's a couple other moments like that where there's just these big dramatic, you know, drum hits or dynamics that it's interesting in that it's not a like, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it a drummer's album. Like technically, I don't know that that you would listen to it, you know, from a, from a technical standpoint in terms of drums. It's more of like, um, you know, it's a signature aspect of the of the sound of the band. I think is to have these, you know, very dominant uh, drum parts. There's the, you know, triplet. In drum machine feeling industrial stuff too on here uh, that bursts out. So I think it's a really kind of unique way to put the put the songs together around this you know emphasis on the drums, but not necessarily technical drumming. More like drums is like a feature. But then on top of that, there's all of these I think emotional range that the guitars and the vocals bring. Uh, so. The vocal is like a brooding, almost dark poet approach. The closest I could come to is maybe Jim Morrison. If if Morrison was fronting like a metal band, uh, which also sounds a little bit like Circus Power at times. So it, it can be sometimes a spoken delivery with a little bit of rasp and darkness to it. But there's some decent range here too. Um, you know, big inflections, louder parts, whispers, there's a good amount of, you know, varying the delivery, which I think works really well. Um, but but the tone of the voice and the way the guitars are done, they just carry this, I think, dark, heavy vibe to them. Um, there's also some really cool use of effects on this record for the guitars specifically. I'm thinking of God's Jig again, where, you know, he's using the delay to create a riff. It's not just like adding delay onto a riff. He's actually like playing against the delay to create this really unique, maybe a little bit of like an 80s cult kind of vibe to it. But I think there's a lot more going on in terms of like um, just unique approach to, you know, how to how to write a riff with a delay pedal. Um, and then, you know, the combination of those two things I hit in a little bit, but just to emphasize it, they can cover a lot of ground um with the with the vocal and guitar approach too where you can get some pretty you know straight feeling like heavy rock stuff that coming of the century is a good example versus kind of this you know head bobbing kind of heavy groove you, you can get in this like i mentioned some of the simple minds kind of 80s alternative stuff with peace child and then they go full on like Ministry Nine Inch Nails with Copious. There's some drum changes in there too to make that happen, but a lot of it is the vocal and, and guitars just really like being chame chameleons and, and and changing things up and uh, really pushing what they can do. So that's some of what I liked. Um, what were for you, Tim? Well, interesting and unique are the keywords that I took away from what you said because there this is a unique record. Uh, there's a lot of fake outs. I feel like. Uh, they do stuff where you think it's going one way, like on copious mm. The song starts out. You're like, okay, this is, this is going to be something It's going in one direction. And, you know, you start out with the drums, you get the big, very, you know, late eighties industrial sounding drums. 
And then the bass comes in. You're like, okay, yeah, we're getting there. And there's this <laughs> moment. There's like this. There's like this guitar, heavy guitar scratch, like, and then an acoustic guitar comes in. <laughs> and you're like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! What happened to the electric guitar? Why you're playing an acoustic guitar over this? Like, I have not heard an acoustic <laughs> guitar in a ministry song. Yeah, and that's essentially what I'm getting here. So you are getting a completely unexpected sound that works weirdly and that's what a lot of this record is it is a it is pushing things together that don't necessarily on paper make sense but when they do it there is this unified sort of approach that makes it work somehow um it is a <laughs> it's a very strange record to listen to if you're not paying attention because all of a sudden there'd be people talking and there's like, like you said, there, I think in, is it thrust? There's like the sound of like uh, a person walking down a hallway, like feet, you know, shoes on a, on a, on like a marble uh, hall. Um, yeah. And then that leads into like the percussion part, uh, but it's not the exact percussion. Like you think, oh, okay, they're going to use these shoes to like introduce the, per nope, it's not the same tempo. Not what I, not, they didn't go where I was thinking they were going to go. Um, and you said it like there are songs that sound like straight up hard rock metal, big, you know, very uh, 80 sounding metal guitar sounds. And then there's stuff that sounds like uh, just it's just out of this realm of what you're thinking, like the, the closer dawn of the great um, uh, Eastern Sun sounds like you're listening to uh, I, I don't, meditation music <laughs> it's the only way i could put it like <laughs> To hear that on the same record as coming of the century which when it starts it's got that big like bell chime which sounds like a very faith no more thing to do um i guess in that sense like maybe these guys had listened to you know mr bungle faith no more that kind of stuff and that rubbed off and then having the drummers and seeing the taiko drums uh, you know, that adds another dimension that's really unique to this because you're getting a lot of really cool drum parts. And this actually uh, lined up well with, I just watched a live concert. Um, I was flipping through um, Tubi. Do you know that, that streaming service called Tubi? And there's a Nine Inch Nails concert from the Downward Spiral Tour. It's in France. And uh, uh, Chris Vrenna, the drummer on like March of the Pigs is just losing his mind. And I'm like, they got to have some sort of loop in there somewhere because it, he can't possibly be playing everything that I'm hearing because <laughs> mm. there's so much happening. And I'm like, well, why did, and then it made me think like, oh, well, this band had two drummers. Why didn't they just have two drummers to cover all that extra stuff that, because they were using like live bass, which I thought was strange. Because when you like you listen to Closer, you know that's a, a synthesizer bass. Live, they were playing with a live bass. Hmm. Actually, did not sound good because um, <laughs> they were caked in mud and jumping around. Yep. So like you're trying to play with the precision of industrial music, but with the attitude of hardcore punk metal, yeah, kind of gets a little sloppy. But bringing it back to this. Um, the two drummer thing is really cool and fun. You get a lot of really intense drumming parts, like on Copious, when it goes to like 
a billion beats per minute at some point in the song. Right. Um, and knowing that that's not a drum machine, but is in fact drummers, like two drummers doing that. I don't know. I don't know if maybe like one is doing double kicks that fast and then somebody else is like hitting the cymbals or, or the snare. I don't know how they divided that up because I've only seen the Allman Brothers use two drummers and that wasn't that fast. <laughs> so a little different a little different yeah they never got now. jessica up to 210 beats per minute okay <laughs> <laughs> i don't think Too those bad. guys could handle that um but yeah this this was one that like it took time to worm its way in but it kind of scratches this weird like weird 80s gothic industrial alternative metal itch that i didn't even know needed to be scratched it's just it's so it's funny that they talked about in the in the later albums about label support and singles and getting on soundtracks and big tours because i'm like how is this remotely commercial like this is a an album this is a pure album of really interesting music but i do not hear anything that's like other than maybe late at on headbangers ball or like you mentioned or alternative nation at two o'clock in the morning i don't i don't know where this would end up so but i i enjoyed quite a bit of it eric you brought this to us so why don't you tell us what you like about it so what what what's always stay with me is first of all the first song pata is is i consider to be probably the scariest song ever recorded and that's because of the the way that it builds and it's got this very eerie kind of slow build vibe and then it kind of explodes and if you were to listen to that in a dark room you know that that might startle you what i mean what i mean by scary is not necessarily that it's disturbing as much as that that it's got a little bit of i'm almost a jump scare to it but it's also got this this very creepy kind of cult, you know, end of the world doom kind of vibe. And it builds right into coming to the century, which kind of carries that on. And so the album kind of builds and then it kind of kind of um, what's the word? It kind of kind of steps back and then it builds again. Uh, all those sounds that you were talking about, you know, the bands that I hear when I listen to this in the mix are definitely killing joke, a mm -hmm. lot of killing joke influence. This time around, I heard a little bit of King's X in the use of the hard rock, but then the acoustic uh, instrumentation and songs in, in a way that's organic, that's kind of reflective, that's kind of more intellectual and not, you know, the, the I guess you could say the slower acoustic stuff, which would be the ballads and not definitely not like cheesy power ballads. They're more reflective. They're more. They're not folk rock, but they're getting towards that more so than uh, like a like a like I said a big power ballad. Uh, there's also definitely a psych influence in here that I hear at various points. Um, Queensrÿche is another thing that came to mind, and especially the Queensrÿche albums of the late '80s. It's a little bit of um, Rage for Order, but but definitely also a little bit of Operation Mindcrime in the sound here. And this is the same era, so maybe that's just kind of in the hard rock alternative, not mainstream heavy metal or mainstream rock zeitgeist that everyone's kind of tapping into. And then, uh, you know, there, there's a drive to this record. I, I don't feel like I ever, you know, get bored. There's a few places where I kind of am not necessarily in the groove with the record, but it picks it picks the groove back up. And I, I don't feel like any of these these elements that we've talked about are uh, inorganic. I think that it it builds and comes back down in an organic way. So it's never to me a juxtaposition of this does not sound like it uh, like it belongs. Even that last song, to me, that last song is kind of the the quiet release as you're leaving the record. You know, after you've had this this huge hard rock sound, it's kind of a more mellow track that kind of brings you out and it has a little bit of hope to it, maybe even with the way it sounds a, a lot lighter. So you're not coming away from the record with this, this heavy, dark um, anxiety feeling. 
as much as you could have if it had just ended without that last track. Well, I don't know that I had the exact same um, thoughts as you as far as the first song, because when that started and then I re-listened re to it over again, I was like, this kind of reminds me of Iron Maiden, like where you'd have like a talky part at the beginning mm -hmm. and it would sound ominous. And then the guitar riff comes in, it's like, dan -da -da -dan -da -dan -da -dan -da -dan -dan. I'm like, oh, we're getting some metal here. Like we're getting some <laughs> British uh, metal here. Um, and the other thing that occurred to me while listening to this, you know, this is a, a very unique in terms of its, it, it's on the precipice of 80s and 90s with regards to its sound and its and the way things are produced. Um, and the song um, Sins of the Fathers, which you mentioned is the ballad, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a really nice song. And if you take it out of the context of this record, you go, oh, this could be like a whole thing. Like you, this could be a, a singer songwriter song. This is out of tune You must build your vision here Upon these ashes With the sweat of your brow And the blood upon your head You must earn your future Or perish with the land And it made me think of the song Rise Above on the Life, Sex, and Death album. How hmm. that song doesn't sound anything like the rest of the record, but right. is this gorgeous ballad that it sounds like it's been in existence for 30 years. Like it sounds like an old song because it's hmm. so well written. And that's what that song made me think. I was like, this is a really good song. These are really strong melodies to this song. How is it on this record? Like it doesn't sound <laughs> anything like the rest of this record. Um, so that was the weird juxtaposition of of that song in terms of it fitting in. I I agree with you. Like you know, the last song makes sense, especially learning that they had been um, uh, soundtracking movies with ambient music. It it makes sense that there is a fee. A theatrical sort of dramatic undercurrent to a lot of these songs and a lot of these and they have a really good ear for for drama and and in in their compositions with regards to how they use dynamics there's a lot of changes a lot of songs that start one way and then they completely go in a different direction you think you're going you know in this in this one sort of is it um under the skies no, not under the sky. Maybe it's Cradle Calls. That's the one with the tabla. Yes. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're about a minute and 30 into it, and they just start screaming at you. It's that so soft, loud dynamic, but, but to the extremes. Oh, yeah. That's not Pixie's soft, loud. This is a completely different take on the soft, loud. Um which I appreciate. It was just unexpected because you're like, oh, okay, this is like the hippie track. And then nope. <laughs> but if you listen to that through headphones, uh, they are talk. There's a, there's a whisper going on under the tablas. See, I didn't, I listened to it through stereo, like, mm. you know, speakers on my desk. So I didn't necessarily pick up until uh, the last couple of listens is when mm -hmm. I listened to it in headphones and started picking up on even weirder things sort of buried throughout the record there's a lot of little like you said talking and sounds and things that you're like oh okay that's not as present on a couple stereo speakers as it is when you got them slammed up against your ears jay what doesn't work for you on the record um it's it's light on hooks it takes you know it's it's uh takes a little time to dig into this record there there's some memorable parts 
on the first couple of listens, but they're not always vocals that for me, they tend to be drums. Um, so it's a bit of a challenge there. I mean, obviously with all the switches and styles, but also just looking for things to grab onto. Um, it's a little light, uh, maybe vocally than that way. Some of the ambient stuff I'm still on the fence on. Um, the robot voices, industrial sounds, some of that stuff. I'm not sure if I continue to listen to this record, if I'm going to enjoy that or not. Um, it certainly creates a mood. It, it gives it the cinematic feel. Uh, I just, I'm not sure on repeated listens, it, you know, make it a little uh, stale. I'm also a little bit on the fence on the very like heavy industrial turns, maybe because they're so early on the record. I just found myself. Um, they make such a statement that they almost overshadow some other more subtle, interesting parts of the record. Uh, it's kind of like um, trying to come up with a good analogy. Like you go into an art gallery and you're looking around and then like, there's one piece that's just like, you know, hits you over the head with a baseball bat. <laughs> and you're like, oh, well, that's the one I remember. Um, but there's also some other stuff in there that you kind of miss just because it's just so in your face. Mm -hmm. um, and then the world music ending. Uh, I get it conceptually. I don't know that it needs to be six minutes and 30 seconds. You know, there's some really like pretty guitar playing. And like I said, I get the concept of what they're trying to do, like send you away. I, I think it could be done in a much briefer, you know, two or three minute little musical piece to end the record. I don't need know that it needs to be pushing seven minutes. Um, so nitpicks here and there, a variety of, you know, kind of a grab bag of different things that, that didn't work for me. Nothing, no one overarching theme that's like, you know, with some records, uh, really holding it back. It's just a, a variety of stuff. How about you? Anything not work? Yeah, uh, I want to mention when Zoo reissued this, all the songs stayed the same, but the mixes changed. So the song lengths changed. So like the opening song, Pata, went from 417 down to 314. Now that's the original so I'm listening to it on streaming and I apparently have the zoo reissue because that's the 314 mix. Um, the last song got two seconds longer. I don't know why it would need to get two seconds longer uh, compared to the rest of the record, but okay. Cause a lot of the other songs all got cut like peace child lost a minute. Um, yeah. Pretty much everything lost length lost a uh, thrust went up by seven seconds that's it everybody else every other song lost time off of them pretty much except for the last song and thrust anyway i think this is a record and it has to be consumed that way i don't think this works well breaking out into individual songs um i think you could you know like i would put you know, like copious on a mix or something like that. Cause I feel like that's a complete song. It's three 30. Um, you kind of get everything there. It would work well if you're doing like an industrial mix. Cause it, cause of that drumming where it would sit well with, you know, like we mentioned killing joke and ministry and those sorts of bands, but to, you know, this would, I have to be in the mood to listen to this because it's so specific in terms of it's what it's trying to do that it's not something that I would want to listen to, uh, you know, said it before, I'm not going to wake up on Sunday morning and throw this on while I'm making coffee and, <laughs> you know, getting some croissants going. <laughs> this is, this is, this is not Sunday morning music. This is, but I would tell, you know, there'll be a moment where I'm going to break this out again. Cause this was an in really interesting record. Eric, is there anything that doesn't work for you on the album? So there's there's two things that stand out. Um, one is the tablas um, that goes on too long for my taste. And it, that's kind of where I feel like the groove takes me out mm -hmm. because it's so different. Whereas when you go to an acoustic guitar from 
from heavy rock that seems organic, but those tablas just come in and they're too front and center. And the second thing is actually what I guess my big criticism of maybe Pearl Jam's 10 record would be, which is the back half of the record doesn't feel quite as strong as the first half. Um, it's not that it's bad. It's just doesn't have the as much of the energy and the um, not hooks as far as musical hooks, but as far as the emotional drive of the first half of the record. So neither of those things are a deal breaker for me, but those are the two things I would point out. I also do agree that this is in an album, not, you know, single. I, I used to put Pata and maybe Coming of the Century on mixes, but that's really about it. Everything else probably needs to be consumed as a whole. And uh, going back to, I mentioned both Queensryche and King's X, their records of this era also were largely records that needed to be consumed as a whole album as opposed to something that has singles on it. Uh, yeah, this is not going to be a, you know, Sunday morning record. This might be a Friday night record. Yeah. But, you know, um, I could also see this being a record for the industrial slash goth club that uh, that's looking to do something that we're going to throw in a couple tracks that aren't tracks that everybody knows. So we'll we'll throw in a couple of right. couple of weird, you know, left turns here. Yeah, you've heard Joy Division 500 times, folks. Let's let's play something else that maybe you might like. I agree with you. I think the front half is definitely stronger. I think that's where they lean into the industrial sound more. Like um, Mountains of the Spoken almost sounds like, you know that uh, the cult uh, box set that they have? Um, it actually has some good material on it. Like it had the other songs that weren't on like Love and Electric mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like that sounds like it would have been one of those leftover tracks from a that didn't make an album from the '80s cult. Like it has, it's it's a mid-tempo-ish guitar rock record rock song. It's not particularly memorable in the context of the rest of the record because it's just kind of this mid-tempo thing where they've been really, especially coming after Thrust, which is this big epic sweeping of a sweep of a song. Um, so yeah, I agree with you on that. that I, would, I would also say I think uploaded. this is very very much a record of its time. Like the whole idea of coming of the century, that's very 1990. You know, that's very we're not at the alternative revolution yet. This is this would be like college rock, I guess, at this point in time. But but oh, yeah. those those millennium anxieties would would be starting to really be present in the the culture, especially with young young people at that time. So I, I think that that might, might uh, if I'm not going to say if you weren't there, I'm going to say, but for a lot of listeners who, who don't have that context, that this might not resonate quite as much. Yeah. And it's interesting that this band put out the record and then had Zoo come in and re-release it. Like mm-hmm. they heard something in this band that they thought, let's put some major label money behind them in 1991. Uh, that's. And they said they got signed in August of 91, which would be before Nirvana broke. Nirvana sure. didn't break until another month. You're right. You're right. But at the same time, there was there was a huge underground buzz going on because Nirvana didn't didn't release their record. But Pearl Jam's recording their record. Um, Soundgarden's, you know, recording their record. Red Hot Chili Peppers is doing a major record. Right. You know, it's pretty obvious that that 80s rock is largely over. You know, the, the biggest things that summer were Metallica and Guns N' Roses, you know, leading up to their big record releases. And so I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of bands like this were probably doing well in their local scene and getting attention. I also really, really did think about their label mates Tool when I was listening to this, because especially those early Tool records, uh, have a very similar vibe and in a lot of ways yeah. i was thinking these guys should have been opening for tool constantly yeah that's a great point because that first ep and mm-hmm. the first album are very much in the vein of this this is just has a little bit more reverb <laughs> i feel like <laughs> uh but they totally would have been a perfect opener and i was looking back you know i was trying to remember about when certain songs were hitting that i remember being all over mtv been Caught Stealing by Jane's Addiction was released as a single in mm-hmm. November of 90. 
So there is definitely a the influx of alternative taking over from some of the you know 80s metal is already starting to infiltrate um the the MTV and the radio and stuff like that. So Jay, um we got to give some final you know thoughts on this record and and give it a rating because we're not going to talk about um commercial aspirations because i don't think there were <laughs> before commercial- before we get there can i can i just say that um yeah if you haven't go listen to the single for their second record which is definitely much more of a of a of a track that can act as a single that would attract, you know, a listeners at that time with a, with a, you know, pretty straight ahead industrial kind of a vibe to it. Which, Which is the single? Oh, you're going to ask me that. And I is it infested? Remember. It's infested. Yes. Okay. Um, by the way, there is a, a great uh, EP slash uh, single release on CD of infested that has a cover of fears. Let's have a war on it. That's worth tracking down anyway okay uh infested is definitely somebody having sat them down or them figuring out that we need a single and this will play nicely next to you know nine inch nails ministry stabbing westward fearing the slaughterhouse kmfdm you know all of that industrial stuff that's going on at that moment uh speaking of uh fear i recently watched clue with my daughter, mm-hmm. which features Mr. Body. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? What's the guy's? Uh, Leaving. Leaving. He's in that who's, movie. Who's also and, the main bad guy in Dudes. Um, I think all of his lines were overdubbed in Probably. Clue. Like he, he clearly said all the lines and they didn't like the way he said them. So because everything is very weird when he talks and then he dies because uh, that's Clue. You gotta have a murder for the murder mystery. Um, Jay, final thoughts, final uh, rating on this record. Worthy album, better EP, decent single. I'm gonna go with a worthy album. I I think it. You know, when you you're buying into the eclecticism of this, you're buying into the the genre sh- jumping. It's just all part of the statement. I think. Um. Uh, even though every turn I'm, you know, I'm not always, I'm, I'm interested in some more than others. Let's put it that way. Um, I think they all somehow in a weird way, make a statement as an album. Uh, so I, I think it holds together in that way. I, I think there's, there's a cohesion here. Uh, it's unique. It's not, you know, easy to define. And I found it like, both like as a passive listen, you know, interesting, like different parts would pull me in and then it'd be kind of fall in the background and be a little bit ambient. And it was actually kind of funny the first couple of times I listened to it. I didn't know if the album was over because it would just, you know, my streaming service would just play another song. <laughs> and because the album's so eclectic, unless I recognize the song, I was like, oh, this must be another song on the album. And I checked it, it was a totally different artist. So it's a little bit like listening to a playlist in that way. Um, yeah. You know, but I, I think it works. So I'm going to go with the worthy album. Where did you land? I'm with you. I think it's a worthy album. I think people, when they digest this, should digest this uh, as a full meal and not just uh, grab the burger and go because there's yeah. some really interesting sounds. I think if you listen to this a few times, you'll get it or you won't. I don't think this is an in-between for people. Um, I think you're going to either really like this and be like, oh, this is cool. This is neat. I've never, you know, heard this combination before. Or you're just going to find it to be really dark and weird and it's not going to be your thing. So I can I can definitely say that I'm interested in checking out the at least the single for the next record to see what that what's going on there because this this was compelling enough to make me go i need to go check out their discogs page and see how many records are available and is stuff cheaper i see some stuff has been reissued over the last couple Mm -hmm. years 
So there's a label um, that just releases Dallas Fort Worth uh, reissues Dallas Fort Worth music from bands that have that don't exist anymore. They've been doing reissues of stuff, including Flicker Stick. They did a double 12 inch on blue vinyl for, for Flicker Stick. Hmm. Everybody run remembers from Bands on the Run, which at some point we should probably do an episode on Bands on the Run. I know it's <laughs> 2000s, but now we're covering 2000s. We might have to run the series. I, ha- I have them on VHS. <laughs> I don't it. have a VHS player. Uh, did you not learn? You got to keep the player, man. I know it's impossible to get those now. You got to hold on to one or two of those. I know. Uh, where do you land, Eric? Oh, easily a, a worthy album. All, all of all of the criticisms that, that you have leveled are, are valid, but I, I still think that as a document of the time, as a whole, and as something that that's um, not inaccessible, but not you know a, an easily digested pop record that you're going to play a couple times and then forget about. That, that this is uh, something that needs to be heard. Um, I don't know that I would play it at a you know, garden party in the middle of July, but especially this time of year that this is ideal for the spooky season when it's getting dark and, you know, uh, you, you wanted something a little bit different on, on the playlist. Um, yeah, it's it's good. Uh, I really do need to uh, locate my copy of, uh, of their second record, which I misplaced, but um I think that, and I also think they probably deserve better than they got. As I said, they, uh, they should, they should be, they should have opened up for tool forever. So. Yeah. I would like to know your top garden party records. I'd like to know what Eric's going to throw on when uh, the tea and crumpets come out. Oh, you know, I, I don't really do garden parties, but it's probably going to be some space age bachelor party kind of, kind of stuff. There you, you know. go. Some um, stereo lab perhaps. No, maybe the Acid House Kings with your heart as a stone. That might be a good one. I don't know I don't that, know. but I'll, I'll I'll look it up. It's weird Swedish stuff. Well, thank you for bringing this record to us. This is this is prime dig me out material right here, because yeah, uh, sure. sure. <laughs> none of us would have found this, even though we'd heard the name. None of us would have uh, found this on our own. So. Well, I'm Appreciate sure that it. the industrial fans are going to be, yeah, it's not industrial enough. The power pop fans are, are going to, going to, going to, you know, it's not necessarily a thing, but hope everyone checks it out. And by the way, with uh, Infested, also check out the video, which you can find on YouTube because it's gloriously cheesy with those 90s computer generated effects. So, excellent. Um, well, if you'd like to be like Eric, you can join us over at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Become a part of the union and you get to uh, you know maybe pick a record, maybe vote in our aughts polls. We have bonus aughts episodes exclusively available at Patreon where we cover six bonus episodes a year. We have over 20 80s episodes from previous years and now we're doing the aughts this year done four episodes so far we got two to go the voting is well by the time this episode comes out the voting will be over for the last two but we have uh the last couple episodes of the aughts about to uh come out and uh or about to be recorded so they can come out and uh it's also where you can vote in polls our monthly tournament polls where albums are suggested at digmeoutpodcast.com on our suggest review page and then they end up in the polls on patreon each month, 18 albums enter, one album leaves. It's also where you can read the Box newsletter. Sign up for it at the website. The Box newsletter is a Substack newsletter that comes out every weekend with a new release calendar of 80s, 90s, and aughts relevant music, movies, books, TV shows, etc. plus two one-minute reviews of new releases. been discovering a lot of good stuff this year we'll have we'll be talking about that in an upcoming roundtable our yearly our new newly minted annual it's it's been i think this will be the third one of our thanksgiving thanks thanksgiving roundtable where we get to talk about the stuff that we enjoyed this year and there's been a lot of interesting music uh released relevant to this podcast this year so i hope we uh 
you know, get some people over Patreon sharing those. They'll, they'll be joining us. And then uh, if you're out there and you want to comment on the socials, go ahead and comment on the socials about your stuff. We'll have some posts up soon about that. Lastly, Apple Podcasts is where you go to leave positive feedback for the show. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Dig Me Out.